Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hi, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman. This is the fifth episode of our six-part series looking at ways to overcome the biggest mental health challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. On this episode, we're going to dive deeper into talking about the negative emotions that come along with diabetes, especially guilt and shame. So many people with type 1 feel guilt and shame. You may feel guilty because you're not doing everything you're supposed to be doing to manage diabetes well. Or you may feel shame because you're feeling burnt out and having a hard time and you think you shouldn't be feeling this way. Guilt and shame can be just another added burden to the everyday challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. My guest today is Christina Burbello. Christina was diagnosed with type 1 a little over 15 years ago, and she's had her own struggles with guilt and shame around diabetes. Christina is an interior designer, and she plans and designs hospitals for a living. And she's also found that writing and the online diabetes community have really helped her through the ups and downs of living with diabetes. You can find Christina on Instagram at Stained in Blue. Here's my conversation with Christina. Well, hey, Christina. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So I want to start off by asking you about your experience with diabetes, and then we'll get a little bit more into some of your specific challenges a little bit later on. But start off by just giving us a background about when you were diagnosed, what was your diagnosis experience like, and how have you been doing since then? Sure. So I'm going to take you back, like, way back to 2005. That's when I was diagnosed. I was in sixth grade. Um, And I was actually showing symptoms way months in advance. Um, the summer of 2004, I started showing symptoms and I was diagnosed in January of 2005. And I mean, towards the end of um, 2004, I was showing all symptoms under the sun. It was like, I had lost a lot of weight. I was drinking a lot of water. I was peeing a lot. You know, towards the end, I had dry skin, like really fruity breath. I mean, all the symptoms, I had it. But we went to the pediatrician twice in that span, and I was misdiagnosed as, it's just a growth spurt, you know, this is normal. Um, and, you know, the symptoms, they kind of built on top of each other until it was the day after New Year's Day that I was supposed to go to school, but the night before, I was just so sick. I was just throwing up, um, and then that morning, I just couldn't get out of bed. Um, and so it was a whole ordeal. Like we had my grandmother, she lived um, close to the area. So we had her come help my mom, get me out of bed and get dressed. But we went into my pediatrician's office and immediately upon seeing me, they were like, yeah, take her to the ER, like (laughs) something's up. And it was a little bit of a blur then, but I was admitted for DKA, um, My blood sugar was through the roof. I was in and out of consciousness at the time. So I just remember them asking me questions, like, where are you? What's your name? How old are you? Just really slurred speech. Um, And that's how I rang in uh, the new year in 2005. Happy Happy New Year. (laughs) 
So when you were sick and you were misdiagnosed, did you mm-hmm. did you know something different was wrong? You knew something more significant was wrong than just a gross spurt? And what was it like to have your doctor tell you, oh, this isn't a big deal? You know what? I was in sixth grade. So to me, I I didn't really notice different. I mean, I remember drinking lots and lots of water and just thinking that was normal because I didn't know anything aside from that. However, from my parents' perspective, they were really frustrated because I had been exhibiting symptoms for months and months and months and no one had said anything. And so it was definitely frustrating for them to see that, you know, this could have been caught a lot sooner and it could have been a lot less dangerous. Yeah, I can imagine they felt really help- or really helpless at that time of just like, yeah. what's going on and how, like, why can't we get an answer here? Yeah. So what was your experience in the first couple of years, especially around the emotional parts of diabetes and making the adjustment to mm-hmm. being a healthy kid to now having a chronic condition? Yeah. So, man, I've, I feel like I've been through a lot of different transitions with diabetes. And I think, you know, growing up um, well into high school, it was pretty manageable. And I had help from my parents and the people at the school. And I think really it's when I transitioned from high school to college and then from college again into my real working life that it was just a lot. I mean, diabetes is a 24-7 job. And at the time I was, you know, prioritizing everything and anything else, whether it was my first job out of school, whether it was um, just design and architecture school, which can be a lot as well, Um, whether it's like, you know, living my 20s. And I think it was just really difficult for me to find how to fit chronic illness and diabetes into all of that. And so you know, kind of started off a little bit um, here and there, you know, kind of guessing my carbs, not really counting them, and then having high blood sugars. And, you know, and then it just became a habit of doing that and just kind of hiding diabetes and not really talking about it with the people around me. And, and then it, you know, kind of, it, it went into then me starting to cancel my endocrinology appointments because, I thought that as soon as I went in there, they would see everything going on and they would see that how, you know, bad of a diabetic I was. I say that with quotes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so it's this sort of, it was this cycle of guilt of just not doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, And and then just feeling almost this shame of, oh, I'm such a bad diabetic. Like I can't get my blood sugars under control. Um, And then just this fear of being misunderstood by my endocrinologist, by the people around me, or having that confirmation that as soon as I did start talking about it, that I would have confirmation of being like a bad diabetic. So it started off with just wanting to live your life and wanting to be quote-unquote normal but the consequence of that was then things weren't going really well for your blood sugars and then you would have to kind of face the music and you didn't want to face the music with your doctor about and then you felt guilty about that and it became this cycle 
that you went through. Totally. It's like this vicious cycle of like no way out. Yeah. I want to go back to, so when you were, when you were in college and then after college, you said that you weren't prioritizing diabetes and I'm curious why, what was your motivation for not? For me, so in college specifically, I think my priority was just, you know, getting through school and being the best at school. And I think there's also, even through college and through my job, there's a sense of like perfectionism and like needing to sort of make it seem as if, as if everything is okay. And just because I am a diabetic, I am capable of doing everything still. And that, you know, as soon as I ask for help, um, that that portrayed to me as like a weakness that I don't have things under control. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I would kind of brush that under the rug and focus on the things I could control, which was school at the time and then my job. And then, you know, really, I mean, there were definitely a lot of times that even with friends, you know, like small talk, like, oh, how's diabetes going for you? And I'd be like, oh, great. But, you know, and I would just kind of brush it under the rug and hide behind the smile. And a lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, like, I know, um, you know, my friend, he's a diabetic and he's just like really not taking care of it. And so it's, it was hard for me in that moment to, because I was that person. And so to, to really be, to be vulnerable and to ask for help. Um, and yeah. But asking for help requires vulnerability, and that's Absolutely. really scary. Yes, and the hardest thing sometimes, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to have someone perceive you that you may not be quote-unquote normal. And I think that we all know yeah. that having diabetes is not going to stop you from doing anything that you want to do. But there's, yep. that fear, there's that fear there that if someone knows that I have diabetes, they're going to think differently of me, they're not going to give me the opportunity, or they're going to, they're going to baby me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like hiding diabetes and kind of brushing it over, brushing it under the rug and you know, playing like you're, everything's going well with your friends. I would imagine that also brought on a lot of guilt and a lot of shame because they're saying you're doing great. And you're saying yes, but you know deep down yep. that you're not. You know deep down that you're not. You're lying to them, like to their faces. Secretly, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, can you just, can you just like read my blood sugar meter right now? <laughs> But they might not even know what that means if they read it. 300, oh, that's, that's great, a great number. Yes, right. That's, so that's another thing, too, I think, with at the time in college and really the first couple of years out of school, I didn't know anybody else with diabetes. And so sometimes all I wanted was somebody to talk to who just understood, and I wouldn't have to explain myself, like, oh, why is your blood sugar so high? Like, I don't want to have to explain why my blood sugar is high and I don't want to have to feel that guilt and and that shame for my blood sugar being high and so at the time I yeah I wasn't involved in any T1D community um so I really just really hit it and in my experience with people who don't understand diabetes if you say oh my blood sugar is high it's 250 and they say oh what's normal and you say 100 they sometimes they freak out or they judge you oh. like, what are you doing what are you doing wrong you must be yeah. like how dare you have a blood sugar that high yeah and yeah 
you know, but they don't yeah. understand that that's, that's a normal part of living with diabetes. Oh, it totally is. And yeah, I have learned to just take numbers factually <laughs> and just correct course along the way. But it, yeah, that's exactly it. So how did this guilt and shame that you were experiencing because of trying to feel normal and trying to put on this happy face, how did that impact your life and your ability to be a good student, to have friends, to live the life that you were wanted to live? I thought I was living the life I wanted to live, <laughs> but my diabetes was just not at all controlled um, because mm-hmm. of the burnout. And so... I think it really, it took me rock bottom, not once, but twice, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to uh, really come out of diabetes burnout. And so the first time, I think having hid hid all of the feelings and all the guilt and shame, um, I was in, I believe it was my third year in school going into my thesis year. And I just... I was in DK, like I knew it because I was already throwing up the night before. And so I um, was admitted into the hospital. And I remember that night, like calling 911 and just having a huge sigh of relief of just like, like, I don't have to hide it. Like, this is, I can get help and it's okay. And I remember being in the ICU and, um, I think the hardest part with me being in the ICU for diabetes burnout um, was not also acknowledging what I was going through. Like, I didn't even know at the time that I was in the ICU for diabetes burnout, if that makes any sense, because I was really avoiding all of the emotions that came with diabetes. Um, And so I remember feeling shame being in the ICU for diabetes burnout. Um, And I just remember doctors coming over and I mean, every time be like, this was really close. Like you really have to watch out and like take better care of yourself, which are all very true. But I felt like at that time, what I really needed to hear was how can we help you? And, you know, how can we get you back on track? And it was the second, so it was a couple of years later where I kind of relapsed, if that's the word for it, relapsed into diabetes burnout. And um, and that's when I realized that like I, I really need help. And I think it was that second time around that I started to research into things a little bit more in regards to emotions and diabetes and doing my own personal research. But I mean, yeah, it's landed me in the hospital. My emotions with diabetes, it's all all connected. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting the language you use because I've actually, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that they ended up in the ICU because of diabetes burnout. Although mm-hmm. it's really true. I mean, you end yeah. up in the ICU because of DKA, but the DKA yes. would not have been there unless you were so burnt out, yes. stop taking care of yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. You mentioned when you're in the ICU, what you really wanted was someone to help you and to recognize the real reason why you were there. And I think that that talks to the, such the important part of 
doctors and healthcare providers recognizing the emotions of diabetes as being an integral part of diabetes care. And I'm curious what your experience has been um, over the years and even now with your doctors. Have they asked you about your experience and how has that helped? Or when they haven't, how has that made it harder for you? That's a great question. I honestly have a hard time with my doctors when it comes to um, specifically with my endocrinologists. While they are there to really review the physical aspect of diabetes and make sure that physically everything is okay, I think um, sometimes there's a disconnect that diabetes is so much more than just the physical aspect of it and that there is a whole mental health, emotional aspect to it as well, which drives a lot of our behaviors and management with diabetes. And um, there have definitely been times that I feel like I've been dismissed um, and or, and I think it was kind of, or I come into an endocrinologist appointment, especially during my diabetes burnout phase where I just felt like they weren't recognizing sort of why my blood sugars were so high and, you know, repeatedly why they were so high. And so I, it was, it's hard. It's been hard, but I think the more that, the more research I've done on the subject matter and the more that I've gotten involved in the type 1 diabetes community, I'm realizing that it is very much so a huge part of chronic illness and diabetes. And I think the more you know, the more you learn. And now I openly talk about it with my endocrinologist. Yeah, and so it sounds, like, it sounds like you're doing a lot better right now. I think it's a, I think it's yes. a turned a corner for you. What has been most helpful for you in turning that corner? What have you done to, to get to a better place? So I think um, one of the things that I first did um, right out of my second diabetes burnout was changing up my insulin therapy and my routine. Like I think sometimes we just need a new perspective, a change. And at the time prior to, um, while I was in diabetes burnout, I was in the pump for years. And so I think I just needed to take a step back, get back to the basics, um, go back to insulin injections, really hold myself accountable into counting cards again and like doing all the insulin calculations. And it's funny because I have not gone back on the pump since then. <laughs> so that's definitely one thing. One other thing that has helped me today that I'm realizing even now and through going to therapy as well is how much our environment impacts how we manage diabetes. And that of course can um, affect people differently. But for me, I have always worked in an open office and while that's great for my job, it isn't helpful for my diabetes management. And so talking with your doctor and your therapist to figure out, you know, how you can make changes to your environment that can better help you manage your diabetes. That can be less distracting when it comes to diabetes management. So that has really helped as well. Lastly is really just creating a safe space for yourself to really feel what you are feeling with diabetes. Um, and then 
making it okay to ask for help. And I just, it doesn't have to be like a huge step. Like I remember asking for help to me felt so overwhelming. And so I started out by researching, reading other type one diabetes blogs, um, getting in touch with other people in the community and, and just getting involved in the community. And that has, that is the safe space that I think everybody needs. How has asking for help from the community and from other people help with your guilt and shame? Makes me feel so much more normal. <laughs> like I am not the only one going through it. And I think shame works best in secret. And so as soon as you start talking about those things that you're going through with other people in the community, you, I'm just so surprised at how many other people are going through it. Um, and there are just so many people out there who want to help. There's so many resources. So yeah, shining a light on it really kind of yeah. helps mm-hmm. helps make it makes it less shameful. And then also, if you're talking about it, you don't feel guilty for hiding it because you're not hiding it anymore. Exactly. Yep. Yep. What about with people outside the community? Have you, how has how you talk to friends and family changed in, in your new place with diabetes? Yeah. Yeah. So I think. I really started out small. Like I didn't make this grand leap of pronouncing it to the world that I was definitely going through diabetes burnout. Everybody needs to know right now. (laughs) But I started off small. I started off just writing. Like writing to me is my own personal therapy. And, you know, sharing those thoughts and sharing that with other people through, you know, my Instagram, talking about it with close friends, and then the more comfortable I am in talking about those things, it's just it's become easier to talk about it in person with people. And there's so much there's power I think in education too. A lot of people just don't know the day to days of type one diabetes and everything that goes into it and just all of the emotions that go into it. So I think the more I share, the more I'm able to kind of break that barrier down. What is the best piece of advice you ever gotten about how to deal with emotional challenges of living with type 1? So much, so many different things I could say. I think diabetes is so individualized. And so one person's journey with diabetes could be different from somebody else's journey with diabetes. And so what's working for one person might not work for you. And that's okay from both a mental aspect and a physical aspect. So... I think it's really finding out what works for you and then committing to that like 200 percent that's awesome advice well christina thank you so much for your time this was an awesome conversation i really appreciate it well thank you so much for having me and for letting me share my story in talking to christina we can see how complicated the emotional side of diabetes can be sometimes It's not quite as simple as just feeling burnt out by all the work or feeling frustrated or angry or whatever negative emotion you're experiencing. But there's also a really big component of guilt and shame around even having those negative emotions. We all know that type 1 diabetes is a hidden condition, and so you can't tell that somebody has diabetes just by looking at them. You have to tell someone that you have diabetes, or they have to see you doing something to manage diabetes to actually know that you have it. But the other thing that's hidden about diabetes is the fact that it's challenging emotionally. Even if people know you have diabetes, 
they may not know that how challenging it is for you and what you're going through emotionally because of diabetes. As Christina talked about, it's really easy and sometimes easier just to smile and say, everything's going just fine. My blood sugars are fine and hide the fact that you're really struggling emotionally. I think this happens for a couple of reasons. I think that it's a natural human reaction to brush negative emotions under the rug because we don't want to talk about them because we don't want to face them and we don't want, we don't want to acknowledge the fact that they're there and we don't want to, want to worry other people with our emotions. However, with diabetes, I think that it's even more complicated because type 1 diabetes is embarrassing. And if we feel that we don't want to tell people that we have diabetes because of what they'll think of us, what will happen if we tell people that we're having emotional challenges because of diabetes? You know, people judge and people question and they doubt. They judge the fact that you're ha- that you can't handle the emotions of diabetes or they question the fact that that, that diabetes can even cause negative emotions, that there is an emotional aspect of diabetes management. And they may say things that make you think they doubt that you're really struggling or that, that it's really that hard. Those types of reactions from other people, misunderstanding or even being dismissive, perpetuates a cycle of guilt and shame because you have these negative emotions and you're having a hard time handling them and, and you feel like you should be able to or that you're the only one who can't handle diabetes and so has these negative emotional reactions. This feels awful and it also increases those feelings of guilt and shame. It also keeps us from addressing the real issue. The real issue is that difficult emotions are a normal part of the experience of living with type 1 diabetes and that they need to be addressed just as much and with just as much seriousness as the physical parts of living with diabetes. The mental aspects and the, and the physical aspects of diabetes are not separate, and they need to be dealt with in a coordinated way. A lot of times, the first way we know that somebody is struggling emotionally with diabetes is that their A1C goes up or their time and range goes down, and there's a change in their diabetes management behavior. And the reason for this is purely psychological. They're struggling, and they're having a hard time dealing with diabetes, and so it's harder for them to take care of themselves and manage their diabetes. But most of the time, we look at this as a medical problem. A physician will look at someone's A1C and say, it's too high, you really need to bring this down. However, they don't necessarily ask about what is making it high and what's making it hard for someone to manage their diabetes. And so we ignore the psychological aspects, which then makes them even more shameful because if they're not being asked about, then they must not be normal or they must not be important. I will be the first to admit that the healthcare system has a lot of work to do here. And we have a lot of work to do in making psychological care a standard part of diabetes treatment for everybody with type 1 diabetes. We're not there yet, but I want to assure you that all hope is not lost. There are actions that every one of us with diabetes can take for ourselves to reduce the guilt and shame that that we feel about having type 1 diabetes, and more importantly, to reduce the guilt and shame that we feel about any kind of negative emotional experience that we have because of diabetes. Let's talk about these actionable steps. The first thing is to find ways to be honest about your experience, what's happening for you psychologically because of diabetes. And I think the honesty goes in two ways. One is to be honest with other people. 
so that you're not alone, so that you feel that you have the support that you need from other people and that you're not glossing over the challenges that you're having. But also, I think an important first step is to be honest with yourself about the challenges that you're having. Oftentimes, we don't want to admit the fact that diabetes is challenging for us and that we're having emotional struggles. And so acknowledging the fact that you're having these struggles and acknowledging them for yourself is really the first step to getting help and to overcoming some of this guilt and shame. So what does being honest with yourself look like? I mean, it can look a lot of different ways, but here's a couple of suggestions. First is you can do an honest inventory of what your experience with diabetes is like and what are the things that are really challenging for you. You can write write it down or talk to somebody else about it or just take some time to think about it and just be honest with yourself about what is most challenging for you and what are you doing to hide that from yourself and, and from other people. I think that you can also uh, do it in a more passive way. I think a really great way to um, to be honest with yourself and to assess your experience is to read blogs or read social media. And you want to read the ones that are really honest and raw. But I think that, that that's helpful because you're able to see that there are other people out there who feel the same way that you do. And so internally, it can take away some of, that, some of that guilt and shame and also be a kind of mirror where you can see what other people are experiencing and see if those are those are things that you identify with. One of the reasons why we're not honest with ourselves oftentimes is that we don't want to feel alone. And if we're honest with, honest with ourselves about our real experience, it can make us feel really alone. So by understanding other people's experiences and seeing what they're going through, even if it's in a very passive way, can help you feel less alone and therefore less less shame about what's happening for you. Once you're able to be honest with yourself, I think it's also super helpful to be honest with other people in your lives. I think Christina was really profound when she said, shame thrives in secrecy. And, and the example that she gave was when she was, you know, people would ask her how diabetes was going for her and she would just smile and say, it's going great. And knowing that she was lying to them, knowing that she was having a really hard time and that by lying about it, it, just, it made it more shameful. It takes courage and vulnerability to be open with people in your life about the struggles that you're having. And so certainly taking small steps is probably a great place to start. But being honest with other people can take away that shame and it can also open the door to support. I think the next step is probably the hardest one, and that is asking for help. There's a lot of vulnerability in, in saying, I really need help and to identifying the specific things that you need help with. When you ask for help, you make it real to yourself and to the person that you're asking that you're having trouble and that you're having a hard time. And this can be really hard, but can, it can also be really valuable. So take, for example, your endocrinologist. Christina talked about how her endocrinologist had never asked her about what sort of what was going on with her emotionally with diabetes. But when she started talking to her endocrinologist about what was going on with her, it first of all opened the door to that conversation, but it made it clear to that person that she, this is something that she would, that was important to her and that she needed to have addressed. Asking for, for help from people in your life, friends and family, coworkers also can be helpful because one, it shows them how, what they can do to help, but it also shows them what your needs really are. It's a whole lot harder to be dismissive of somebody's experience when you ask them for something specific that you need because you're having trouble. Maybe you need a hug. Maybe you need someone to talk to. Maybe you need, need an exercise buddy or someone to help you cook healthy meals. 
no matter what you ask for, the act of asking for help can really help with your guilt and shame because you're putting your cards on the table and you're saying, this is what I need and being very honest about that. It's a way of bringing your emotional struggles with diabetes out into the open and being really honest with other people about what you're experiencing and what you need. That goes a long way to taking away that secrecy. I really like how Christina talked about her need for community and how the diabetes community has given her a a safe space to feel whatever it is that she's feeling about diabetes. Notice what she didn't say, that being part of the diabetes community and having that safe space made any of her negative emotions go away. But what it did was it allowed her to feel her emotions and to be there with them, even though they were tough. It also made her feel okay to ask for help because she was asking for help from people who got it and who weren't going to judge her or weren't going to question the fact that she needed help and were very willing to give it. The bottom line is that having a supportive community of other people with diabetes makes it feel normal and makes it normal to have these challenges. And that normalcy, that being okay with having these challenges really takes away the guilt and shame. Because if everyone is having similar challenges and you are, then there's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to feel guilty about because because you realize while it not, might not be comfortable or fun, it's a normal part of the experience of living with type 1 diabetes. Before we finish up today, I want to talk briefly about the difference between what we call manufactured emotions and natural emotions. And I probably put, I should have put this at the beginning of the podcast, but I didn't. So a manufactured emotion is something that's not hard, hardwired, and it's really the result of how we view, the, view our world. So oftentimes, a manufactured emotion is an emotion that we have about another emotion. So with diabetes, let's say that you have a high blood sugar. Your blood sugar is 250. And you get frustrated because you took the you, you counted your carbs right, you took the right amount of insulin, but your blood sugar is still high. So that frustration is a, is a natural emotion. It's going to happen because you, you, the, the thing that you expected to happen didn't happen. But then what happens is we start thinking about that emotion and we start judging ourselves for having that emotion. And that's where a manufactured emotion comes in. It's an emotion that's caused by our thinking and not by a reaction to a stressor. And I think that's a really important distinction here when talking about emotions like guilt and shame, because guilt and shame are really manufactured emotions and they come along because we think about things and we we judge our experiences. Manufactured emotions can really be like lighter fluid and they can really make our emotional experience really intense. So your frustration over your, over your high blood sugar yesterday probably went away really quickly. But then if you have guilt or shame or other manufactured emotions that come along with that, those things stick a lot, stick around for a lot longer and they also get a lot more intense. So I hope you can see how manufactured emotions can be especially challenging with diabetes. But the good news is, is that we can, there's actually something we can do about them. We can help to reduce them. We may not be able to reduce the frustration because frustration is a natural, a natural reaction to a stressor. But the manufactured emotions are something that we can actually do something about because they're created by our thoughts and our judgment about them and not by stressors that we can't control. I always like hearing from my listeners, and I would love to hear about how you have dealt with guilt and shame around living with type 1 diabetes. To get in touch, go to my website, www.thediabetespsychologist.com, or send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. 
that does it for today's episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate it if you would post a review on iTunes. Also, be sure to tune in next time for the final episode of the six-part series, where we'll talk about how the financial and logistical aspects of living with type 1 can affect your mental health. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Thank you.